for us today. So mm-hmm. let's open our hearts and ears to hear the word of God. Good morning, church. Can you hear me? Mm-hmm. As Kip said, I've been reading from the book of Matthew, verses 1 through 12. It's the sermon, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, when Jesus saw the crowd, he went up on a mountainside and he sat. He sat down and his disciples came to him and began to teach them the Beatitudes. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you falsely, and say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. For the reading of the word, the church said, amen. If you uh, don't have your Bibles there yet, start opening your Bibles in Matthew chapter 5. I want to welcome all the guests who are here. Uh, even when you were coming in, I saw faces I've never seen before. Uh, we are just glad you were here. There are people who are tuning in online right now who are in hospitals and funeral homes. Uh, uh, I mean, nursing homes are people who are in hotels. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, we're grateful for those of you who are tuned in, no matter where you are, all right? Uh, Tashina, thank you for reading scripture today. You were a gift to Casey and me. Um, if you don't know Tashina, uh, she is bright, intelligent, wonderful to talk. It, it, we love talking to you about so many things in life. You make us better people. Armani, what a gift you have been this summer as a preaching intern, worship intern, You've been so much more than an intern. You have been uh, a minister who God has used to touch all of us, and we cannot wait to see what God does with you um, throughout the rest of your schooling and beyond. Can we thank Armani for all he's done for us this summer? Uh, I was was a part of an an event this past week, and Bill Hybels, I was here in Memphis, but I was listening to Bill Hybels. He's a a pastor in Chicago of a 30,000-something member church, a guy in his mid-60s, a wonderful leader. And uh, he, he said, I, I just want to share with you all a spiritual discipline that I have in my life. He said when he wakes up in the morning, he positions himself to when he rolls out of bed, he does not land on his feet, he lands on his knees. And he said, I want to be really careful because some of you, you need your doctor's approval before you do this, all right? But he said what it does for him to center him as he begins every day, that he doesn't land on his feet to rush to the, to the bathroom or to shave or to jump in the shower. He lands on his knees to remind himself of who he is in the presence of God, of how much he needs Jesus to guide him throughout his day. And I stand in front of you today hungering for God, desperate for God, um, knowing God teaches me and instructs me uh, really beats it into me every Sunday morning that my calling is not to stand up here in front of you and to be spectacular, but to be faithful. And that's all I want to be today. 
uh, on your way to Matthew chapter 5, I want to reveal a few things about Jesus. Because as Tashina said just a moment ago, uh, the Beatitudes are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. One of the greatest sermons, if not the greatest sermon ever preached uh, by Jesus. But before you get to the Beatitudes, Jesus' first big teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, you learn a few things about the character of Jesus, the nature of Jesus, the mission of Jesus. And I want you to see some of these in Matthew because I think it's important before you get to the Beatitudes. In chapter 1, verse 21, when Joseph and Mary were told that Jesus was going to be born into the world, what they were told is you were to name him Jesus because he is going to take away the sins of the world. So one of the first things you learn about Jesus is that he comes to deal sin a catastrophic blow. It's the first mention of sin in the New Testament. And the first mention of sin in the New Testament is not what sin does to you, it's what Jesus came to do to sin. Uh, Just a couple of verses later in chapter 1, verse 23, what you were told about Jesus is he came into the world to be uh, Emmanuel, to to manifest the presence of God in this world, that Jesus embodies everything God is. If you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus. And Jesus reveals the heart of the Father, the nature of the Father. So in chapter 1, verse 23, you're told Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He reveals to you that God is not just some being hovering in a cloud way over there distant. God is closer than your own skin. He is to your left and to your right, above you, below you, in front, behind. He's with us. The third thing you learn about Jesus is if you fast forward to chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1 through 11 is that Jesus is obedient to God uh, no matter what. His Lord Loyalty to God is on display when he goes into the wilderness for 40 days where he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink. And and it's there that Satan tempts him three different times. And Jesus proves, he shows his loyalty to the Father can endure through any temptation. And then right after that in chapter 4, Uh, As you get to verse 16, what you're told about Jesus is he has come to be a light to the nations. He's come to be a light to the world. Though there will be a time in Jesus' life and ministry that he focuses primarily on the Jewish people, the the gospel was that the Jewish people would catch hold of the fire of God and, and from there that this message would be a blessing to all the world. So there are four things you learn about Jesus. Now, before you get to chapter 5, verse 1, because sometimes, and I've done this before, where I've taught on the Beatitudes, or I just want to read the Beatitudes, so I go straight to chapter 5, verse 1, or chapter 5, verse 3, where Jesus starts saying, blessed are the poor in spirit and all these things. But if you don't read the end of chapter 4, you miss out on the foundation and the context of why Jesus gave the Beatitudes and who he gave them to. And I've done this so many times without seeing the context. So let me show you a few things that happened right before the Beatitudes. In chapter 4, verse 17, what it says is Jesus came to preach, and his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is what John the Baptist was preaching to. And this would headline, uh, almost any time you hear the proclamation coming from Jesus, Jesus teaching and preaching, uh, something about repent for the kingdom of heaven is near is in that message. This was the sermon he would take with them. Repent that Jesus has come to alter your reality, to alter your life. Alter, which is what we're calling this series, is to be modified. It is a change in direction. And before Jesus came to heal diseases, to drive out demons, to to declare uh, the powers of evil need to go away, what Jesus came to do is he came to teach. Now, I think this is really important because it's easy for us to want to get caught up. And we're a church and we we talk a lot about compassion and service and leaving here to go and and bless the world. but to, to elevate the need for service doesn't mean you minimize the need for authoritative teaching in your life. 
And it can become easy for us to want to engage in service because we feel so connected with God through it, but to not have any authoritative teaching that's coming into our lives. And Jesus doesn't call you on a mission before Jesus begins to teach something to your heart. He proclaims right after that. In verse 18 through 22, what Jesus does is he calls fishermen to come and follow him. It's a call narrative. I don't know about you. I just grew up in a church culture where we did not talk much about calling or being called. It wasn't really in our vocabulary. It's what the Baptists did. All right, We just didn't, we didn't talk much about what it means to be called. But something you will see when Jesus calls people, when God calls people throughout Scripture to be called is not simply to be saved. It is to become an agent of God in the world. And this is a great privilege and blessing. So when Jesus calls these fishermen, he's not just saving them and giving them new identity. They are becoming his agents in the world of what it means to live for God, serve God, give all of your allegiance to God. Now, something about fishermen, because uh, how many of you fish for a hobby? Just a show of hands. How many of you enjoy this? Sometimes we think fishermen, and we didn't think everything that it would cost to be a fisherman back then. This was their job, their livelihood. And, and here's what made fishing so hard then, is that Rome owned the land and the waters. So for you to be a professional fisherman, it wasn't just you finding a place one day where you could go and fish, and then you take the fish, and you either eat them with your own family or sell them. You had to pay taxes on the fish that you caught. You had to pay taxes on transportation to and from wherever it is you were fishing because then, as in a lot of places of the world today, the powerful benefited off everything. And you have Cicero, uh, Cicero who was a Roman, um, uh, a Roman politician back in the first century who raided occupations. And when he ranked occupations back in the first century culture, do you know what was at the very bottom? Fishermen. And Jesus, to call the first four disciples, they were fishermen, some of the most vulnerable in society. And he invites them into this relationship. He calls them as agents in his kingdom. He calls and invites the vulnerable. The vulnerable. Jesus called and they trusted, knowing that there may be social and an economic cost. But their commitment to Jesus took precedence over every other allegiance in their life. So Jesus proclaims. Right after that, Jesus calls the vulnerable to be the first followers. But then right after that, in chapter 20, or verse 23 through 25, <coughs> Jesus heals diseases, drives out demons. You can see it up on the screen, and I kind of just paraphrase some of this. But Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching, proclaiming, curing every disease and every sickness among the people so that his fame spread throughout all Syria. And they brought to him all the sick, those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. These are people who were not just physically ill, but because they were physically ill, there was also a social disease that had been placed on them. Because to be sick back in the first century, it was multidimensional. It meant a few different things. You were socially deprived. You were sick because either you had really bad eating habits and exercise habits, and, and, and you were sick because you brought things on yourself, or some thought you're sick because um, there's sin in your life or, or in the life of your parents, and that's why you were born this way. Here are a few things that this teaches us about Jesus. And this is really important. Jesus restores the physical body. He came to make people well from the head to the toe. When Jesus spoke, 
words of healing over people, they were healed. Jesus came to help restore people physically. Jesus came to restore the body from social disease. Because if you had sicknesses... Not only were you not allowed in the synagogue, a lot of times you were taken away from family because you were seen to be unclean. So you couldn't be with a spouse or with kids. You were taken away from them. Jesus restored the body from social disease. And Jesus also restored the heart from spiritual and sinful disease. Now I want to show you in verse 24, there is that word pain. That people came to Jesus who were in great pain. And this word really just like started. Uh, ripping my heart up, like opening me up. So I wanted to dive into it a little more. It's a Greek word, bossa noise. And I think this is important because it's not only disease in your life, it's distress and torment. The crowd that comes to Jesus in chapter 4 and chapter 5, it's, it, it's a crowd of people who had not been blessed by a priest in weeks, months, or years. It's a crowd of people who would not have been allowed in most synagogues because the law told them they couldn't come. It's people who were socially misplaced, people who were dealt with all kind of oppression in their lives, people who were, who were surrounded by forms of chaos and distress, and they were in need of a blessing, but they hadn't had one. Are any of you in need of a blessing today? A blessing meaning that God speaks some truth of your identity over your life. That God speaks words of affirmation over you, of who you are in God. And now the foundation is set for us to hear the Beatitudes, maybe in a way you've never heard them before. That a crowd comes to Jesus who are in desperate need of salvation and recovery. It's people who acknowledge that change is needed in their lives. The crowd was in need of something that only God could give. And sometimes it's too easy for us <coughs> when we read Scripture. We see the word crowd or crowds. And it's like we would think at like the FedEx Forum, you go down there for a concert or something, there's a big crowd there. The crowd was energetic. You may not know anyone who is there, but you, you see the crowd. And sometimes we begin thinking certain things about the crowd. What I want you to think just for a moment is when Jesus spoke the Beatitudes, he's talking to people who had names and faces and a past and experiences, people who many of them were hurting and in distress. And this is the crowd that sits close to Jesus. And Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for you will be comforted. Blessed are the meek those who have either chosen to be small in the eyes of the world or those who have been made small in the eyes of the world. Blessed are you, for you will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God everywhere. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Do you think some tears were coming down some faces when Jesus spoke these words? All right, so uh, I, I shot an eight-minute interview with Mac and Mary Owen. And Mac and Mary, Mac was an elder at a church down in Louisiana. They moved to Colorado Springs. Some of you have been here for a while. Maybe you remember Mac and Mary. They came here about three years ago, and they shared their testimony on a Sunday morning. 
about a 35-minute testimony that left all of us. We, it was just, we were so moved by God. Uh, Mac, and, Mac is the national director of Celebrate Recovery. Mary is the national um, coach, uh, leadership coach for Celebrate Recovery. They live outside of Colorado Springs. And here's just what I want you to know. The, the interview I did with this, this couple, uh, they are employed by Saddleback Church, which is where Rick Warren pastors out in California. That's where Celebrate Recovery started. There are now 30,000 churches in the United States of America who have a Celebrate Recovery, and Mac and Mary train up leaders in all of them. So the interview you are about to see is with people who have an impact and a touch and an influence on millions of people throughout America and throughout the world. And now, if you've ever been to a Celebrate Recovery, or if you haven't, when you go, you will hear all eight Beatitudes recited, memorized, declared. You will hear them spoken at every Celebrate Recovery meeting. So I thought it would be important and insightful to interview some. Check out this interview. It's eight minutes, and then I'll come back up. All right. Hey, Sycamore View. This morning we're joined. Uh, I got Mac and Mary Owen all the way from Colorado Springs. Mac and Mary, I was thinking earlier, I think it's been three and a half years since you were at Sycamore View on our stage giving your testimony. We still have people talking about it today. All right. Now, before we before we get deep into talking about uh, some CR and some Beatitudes, which is what the series we're beginning this morning, uh, here in Memphis, we've just set a record. It's been in the top 10 of the hottest Junes in recorded history and the hottest Julys in recorded history. Now, you're outside of Colorado Springs, so give us just a, a quick, like, what's the weather been like for you recently? Oh, you're not going to believe it. <laughs> it actually got up to 81 the other day. <laughs> and, yeah, oh, it was like a heat wave. We were, like, freaking out. I mean, what are we going to do? Uh, but you didn't, then you we didn't were, know what to do, huh? Yeah, that, well, that night it got down to 46 again, so we were back in our comfort zone, so... Oh, my goodness. Man, I was at your place. Go ahead, Mary. What was that? I was just going to say, you know, we don't even have air conditioning. You know, oh. you don't need for y'all. We just oh open the windows nice and cool and have a blanket. <laughs> oh, how nice. I was at your house just over a year ago in July. Your hospitality was great. You showed me. I mean, you have no neighbors. There are no highways. You don't hear anything out there. Just at, at peace. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Mac and Mary live in, just outside of Colorado Springs. They've been engaged with Celebrate Recovery for a number of years. In fact, Mac is the national director of Celebrate Recovery. Mary is the national training coach of Celebrate Recovery. So you guys travel all over the place, equipping and empowering leaders. There are now over 30,000 Celebrate Recovery churches who uh, have Celebrate Recoveries, which is just so exciting. And here's why I needed to talk to you a little bit, why I wanted you to speak to Sycamore View this morning, because... Uh, I, I'm at Celebrate Recovery here at Sycamore, Sycamore View a few times a year, and every every time Celebrate Recovery meets, the Beatitudes are recited. So it's part of the recovery program. I'm right along with step studies are the Beatitudes. Like it's at the core of uh, of recovery and redemption. So. Um, I mean, all of us here at Sycamore View and I mean, all humanity, we're a mess. We can make a mess of life. We're in need of redemption. So talk to me just for a moment how important the Beatitudes are for recovery, for restoration, for redemption. Well, um, it's it's more than just important to me. It's vital. It's uh, and that means, of course, life and death, because it's 
what Jesus said. I'm going to give you a road map to live, and I'm going to start with this sermon, and it's going to be the Beatitudes. And, you know, for me, that was like, um, well, I'll pick one or two of them, but Jesus right. said, no, it's a package deal. And I'm going to start with this. I'm going to start with blessed are those who are spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, unless you're broken, I got nothing for you. But if you are broken, the kingdom of heaven is yours because I'm going to make you whole again. And then he ends the Beatitudes. I love it. It's, it's a bookend. The other end is my place in his family. In other words, once I put all these things into play in my life, this roadmap to recovery, he says, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons and daughters of God. So now I know that it's okay to be broken. And when I work through these beatitudes and, and start putting them in my life and I become a peacemaker, he said, now your place in my family is as a son or a daughter. Yeah. Oh, man. So, yeah, it's vital. It is vital. And I like the words you use. I mean, it's vital at the very heart of, of who, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So I, I know you're, in fact, I think you guys are about to go into a Celebrate Recovery meeting where you will... I don't know if you guys stand up, but you will go through the Beatitudes together. So it's part of it's part of leadership. It's part of who you guys are. But I, let me ask just personally, what have the Beatitudes meant to you as an individual? Well, for me, in the early part of our marriage, I prayed for seven years that Mac would yield his life to God. And 28 years ago, my prayers were answered Ugh. in a powerful way when Mac said, I'm giving my life to Christ. I can't do this on my own anymore. And I was thinking, whew, we get to get on with life now and live this nice little calm family life. But God had other plans. God yeah. planted seed in our hearts of helping others find healing through the Beatitudes, which basically are eight ways to be happy. You know, in the beginning of Max Recovery, I didn't realize I had my own hangups to deal with. I came to realize that I would struggle with getting my value from others instead of from God. And I wore myself out trying to have this perfect little image. And as I looked at the Beatitudes, I saw it was time for me to start looking at my own life and do some house cleaning in my own heart. Oh, wow. And so much of my recovery. And as I continue to live by the Beatitudes, God reveals new things to me to work on. You know, God forgave me instantly. And that's how it is for all of us. When we come to Jesus, our slate is wiped sparkling clean. At the same time, it's a process cleaning up the messes I've made in my life. Right. We call it every, God calls it sanctification. Getting closer to Jesus, becoming more like Jesus, one moment at a time, one step at a time, one day at a time, I'm getting better. I think about 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful mm -hmm. and, just, and we, he will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So you see, forgiveness is instant. But recovery is a process that's lifelong until Jesus comes back. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I mean, that you just summed up the heart of the gospel right there. And I love that you pointed back to when Matt gave his life over to Jesus. You guys are in December. You're going to celebrate 40 years of marriage, which I just got back from a trip. I know. Yes. I just got back from a trip with my family. My parents uh, on August 21st will celebrate 40 years of marriage. Uh, you got three kids. I've met two of them. You have 10 grandkids. Do you have a favorite of your kids and grandkids? <laughs> All of them. 
They're all my favorite. All right. Hey, before I let you go, let me ask you this. When it comes to the Beatitudes, and thanks for giving us just a little bit of time. Uh, right now, I'm not asking you to look over the last 15 years, but right now in your life, is there one of the Beatitudes that you connect with the most or that is challenging you the most? Yes, and I, and it is the last one. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, because that one there, it's the one I want to do the most, but it's the one sometimes that is the hardest to do in God's kingdom because we all deal with messy lives every day, including my own, our own. Yeah. And so being a peacemaker is, um, it's not something that comes natural. It's not something that comes easy. It's something we have to work on, but the benefits are unbelievable. So yeah, that one, the, the peacemaker, that's my, the, that's my connection beatitude. Yeah. I, I bet a lot of folks would connect with that. Well, Hey, Sycamore View loves you guys. Thank you for your ministry, your hearts and everything you're doing. I can't wait to see you again sometime soon to connect. So I love you. Hey, come love see you, us. I'll, I'll cook you a good meal again, yes, Josh. Man. Yes. Hey, if we get another day of 114, <laughs> uh, I will be there, brother. <laughs> All right, you take care. Love you guys. Thank you. Did you get something out of that? All right, Matthew 5. Jesus goes up on a mountain, verse 1. This is a phrase that is used uh, with Moses in the book of Exodus nine different times. And now it's the phrase that's given to Jesus because Moses led the people of God uh, into this uh, uh, place of deliverance. Jesus came to lead us to ultimate deliverance. Get, get your notes ready. Get a pen out. If you take notes in a, in a phone, a tablet, whatever it is, I want you to take some notes. Beatitudes are not so much concerned with uh, your emotions or with your personal achievements. The Beatitudes are concerned with God's favor for certain human actions, behaviors, and situations. And I want you to see maybe a way to possibly group these Beatitudes is like this. The first four Beatitudes are uh, oppressive situations of distress. You think about them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And another way to say that is, blessed are those who are hanging on by a thread or who at the end, are at the end of their rope. Blessed are those who are crushed in spirit, which may be where some of you are today. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are meek, who have either been made small or have chosen to be small in the eyes of the world. And, and the f- fourth one's important, uh, and, and we'll focus on this in a few weeks. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Sometimes when we think about righteousness, we think about being made right with God, which is a part of righteousness, of the righteousness of God. But it's not just you being made right with God. It's the world being made right with God. So the people who were hungering and thirsting for righteousness knew there was something they were lacking in their life that only God could fill. But they're also crying out for the systems of the world to be made right because of some of the oppression. The final four Beatitudes are concerned with human actions, which are inspired by God's initiative and God's activity in one's life. So in other words, the final four are things you're called to do, to be merciful, to be pure in heart. To be peacemakers, not just those who like peace or stand for peace, those who help make peace, and those who live in a way the persecution comes, and when it does come, you're supposed to rejoice in it because we're living in the righteousness of God. Now, I have a little homework for you, okay? A couple of things for the people of Sycamore View. This is the point where some of you are like, homework, honey, we already had communion, let's go, all right? Um, But let me give you just a little bit of homework. Homework assignment number one. I'm asking you over the next eight weeks to memorize the Beatitudes. 
Matthew chapter 5, 3 through 9. Okay? Uh, you can do this as a family, as an individual, as a life group, uh, a Bible class, however you want to do it. I want you to memorize them because I think you have to be attitudes deep in your heart that you can draw from when certain things happen in life will enrich your life. Secondly, I want to give you a couple of questions to take home today that some of you will talk about in life groups later on. But one, kind of the question I gave Mac and Mary, which beatitude do you take the most comfort in today? And which one challenges you the most? And take this to lunch with you today with people who you're sitting with. The very first word that Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount, and the first word he speaks in the Beatitude is the word blessed. Now, <clears throat> growing up, and Casey and I were talking about this last night, growing up, sometimes the way we would read the Beatitudes was there's a reward that comes with each Beatitude. So in order to get the reward, here's what you're supposed to do. That if you want to inherit the earth or you want to see God or you want, to be, uh, you want to be called children of God, then you do this so you can get that. And I think that's the wrong way to read the Beatitudes. This is not about the reward. And I think the crowd that was there with Jesus, they were not there because they had earned it or they, they were there to, for a reward. They were there to hear from Jesus and Jesus began to bless them. The word blessed is rooted throughout all the Bible. It's a Greek word, and you can write this down. It's a Greek word, makarios, which is to call or consider someone especially favored. It's the first thing God does in Genesis 1 when he creates human beings. The first thing God does is he blessed them. Um, and, and this is something we've lost in our culture. I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment. Uh, because sometimes we throw around the word blessed, like, have a blessed day, or I'm, I'm blessed. There was a, a lady down in Houston where I preached before I came here, and you asked her how she was doing. Susie, how you doing? And she would say, I'm blessed and highly favored. But she was a woman with a lot of personality. And if you got her on a good day, what she would say is, I'm blessed and highly flavored, all right? Um, but we can throw around the word blessing without understanding what blessing can do for someone, not just from a stage speaking blessing over people, but how to bless and affirm and speak truth. Uh, our shepherd started a prayer time on Wednesday nights. A few years ago, some of you have been to some of these uh, prayer times. The last Wednesday night of the month, we gather in a room and we just open it up for prayer. And the first time some people came to that setting, we heard them talk about why they came for shepherds to pray over them. And before we prayed, I just felt, I guess it was the move of God in my own life. And sometimes I put our shepherds totally on the spot, like we're going to do with the prayer time at the end of this service. And I put them on the spot and I said, hey, before we pray, can I just get a few shepherds who will speak words of blessing over these people? And I wish all of you could have seen how God moved in that night and in nights since. To see our shepherds who didn't become therapists who felt like they needed to fix people, but that they were listening to God for what is a word of blessing, of affirmation, of truth I can speak over this person that could enrich their lives. Um, these were people who came into the presence of Jesus who were in need of blessing because many of them has not received one in years. And it wasn't because the priests were bad people. It's because the priests were obeying the law. 
And the law said there were certain people, if you had these kind of illnesses, you could not come into the synagogue. You were considered to be unclean. And as I've been preparing the Beatitudes for weeks, I just, I've prayed through this room. I've declared Beatitudes over this room. I think through names and faces and stories of those of you who are sitting here right now. And I come to certain Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. And I see Suzanne who sits over here and Elena here and others of you, who Tanya, who have lost loved ones recently and declaring comfort over those who are sick, wanting blessings to flow into you, yet also realizing some of you may have never had a time in your life where someone looked you in the eye and spoke blessing over your life. So here's what I want you to see, because this isn't just something Jesus does in Matthew 5 that isn't throughout the rest of the Bible. In the Old Testament, you have 45 Beatitudes. And a lot of those were connected to obedience in the Old Testament. If you do this, you will be blessed. Forty-five of them. In the New Testament, there were 50 of them. Thirteen in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you take notes, I want you to write this down. The state of being blessed, the state of receiving a beatitude, has everything to do with the presence and activity of Jesus and very little to do with you and your behavior. It's the presence and activity of who Jesus is. It's the presence of Jesus, which is what solidifies a new reality, an altered reality for all people. Do you know what the crowd did to receive these blessings from Jesus? They came. And that's it. They didn't pay for it. It wasn't about personal achievement. They had been touched by God. They had received healing from God. And there was this openness to the generous activity of God to save and heal people. And they simply came into the presence of Jesus. And they came, and you don't hear them on their knees crying out for a blessing or anything. They had been touched by Jesus, and they wanted more of Jesus. So they came into the presence of Jesus. Sometimes the most faithful thing you can do in your life is just come into the presence of God. God, I don't have an agenda right now. I don't even have words that can flow from me. I'm just here. And what do you want of me? And see what God will do. I I think it's so important, and write this down, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes come before all those hard commands you have in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Before Jesus starts talking about loving enemies and praying for enemies, and that you better not have more than one coat in your closet. Before Jesus talks about materialism and greed and, and living out your faith, not just listening to it, but living it out. Before he does any of that, he, he gives grace. Grace comes before command. Blessing comes before demands. And when Jesus teaches, he was strategic. And his strategy of teaching to that crowd wasn't to break them down in order to give them an answer for the salvation they needed. It wasn't to make them feel bad about themselves so that they could come to a realization of how desperate they were in need of God. His strategy was to give people a new reason to live. His strategy was to speak the truth of God who is greater than our past. His strategy was to help convince people that though many of you are looking at me right now and you want a do-over in certain parts of your life, God doesn't give you do-overs. There's no men in black flashy thing that you can push to just erase certain things you've done in the past. I don't know who it was who taught me this, but God doesn't give you do-overs. What God does give is makeovers. And it may be exactly what you need today. Jesus starts by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are at the end of their rope. Blessed are those who are crushed in spirit. 
And one thing the Lord has really disciplined me on is spiritual poverty, which may be the state that some of you are in right now. Spiritual poverty is much like economic poverty. That you are in a state where you are in desperate need of hope and opportunity. Where you're in desperate need of resources. And spiritual poverty is in need of resources and hope and opportunity that can only come through God. And the promise that comes with it is that yours is the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean you own it. It means that it owns you. You possess within you the power of God to rule your life. I was at Cracker Barrel. This is a while back. Just down the street here uh, from Sycamore View. I was at Cracker Barrel, and I was with a friend who had had some serious moral failure in his life. And he was poor in spirit, crushed in spirit. And I would meet with this friend every week to pray and to encourage his heart. And there's a woman, if you've been to Cracker Barrel, you've probably seen her. There's a woman who uh, stands at the cashier uh, taking your money, and she's a woman of God. And I've developed a relationship with her since I came here over eight years ago. And I don't know her well, and she doesn't know me well. And this person who was with me that day, she did not know him at all, and he did not know her. And when we were walking out, I handed her the receipt. And I was paying for our breakfast. This guy was a few feet from me to my left. And she said, Josh, when you walked in today with your friend, I felt like God gave me a word for your friend. Can I tell him what the word is? Now, sometimes when people have come to me before and have said, I heard from God, sometimes I can get a little skeptical. I don't know if you can. Because sometimes people will say, well, God told me this morning that I'm going to have the closest parking spots that anywhere I go today. <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know if that's God, all right? The last will be first, the first will be last. It seems like God may put you in the back and make you walk. I don't know. She said, I, I feel like I have a word from God. I looked at my friend and I said, do you want to receive it? And he said, sure. She said, sir, I've never met you, but when you walked in today, I felt like God gave me a vision for you. And God showed me the image of a picture frame that fell off of a wall and it hit the floor and broke into a few pieces. But then God reached down and took that picture frame and put it back together and hung it back on the wall. And God wants you to know that God can put the frame back in your life and can put a new picture in there that can give you a whole new reason to live. And I walked into the parking lot and watched this guy weep because the Lord was gracious enough to work through a woman who works at Cracker Barrel to speak a word of God into his life. What God has taught me over the last few weeks is your life cannot be altered if you are unable to receive a blessing from the Lord. Your life can't be altered in the direction of Jesus if you do not have room within your spirit to receive a blessing and an affirmation and the truth about God. Now, maybe some of you have received a word. Maybe you've had someone speak a word into your life, the personal word where they're in your presence, and they speak a word, and you've been changed by it, and you remember it, and you can go back to it because of how it edifies you. Maybe some of you have had a blessing of the Lord come into your life before, and you forgot it, and you're in need of a reminder. Maybe some of you grew up in families where you had parents who were doing the very best they could, but they did not know how to express their love or how to express blessing. Or you grew up in churches where just the church culture 
or didn't know how to do this well. And I think there are some people today who are in need of a blessing of God, just the truth of the Lord about who you are in God. need that to be spoken over you, and we're going to create a prayer time in a moment for it. There are a few concerns I have when it comes to blessings, and let me give them to you. We're going to talk about this over the next few weeks. And one of my concerns is if we're not careful, we begin to live for the blessing of God instead of living from it. And there's a big, big difference. You do not ever earn the favor or the right or you cannot pay. There is no personal achievement that you have that allows the grace of God to come into your life. The grace of God flows into your life. Live from that place, not for it. The second concern I have is that we live in a culture that doesn't know how to do blessing well. And sometimes it's because of this. We feel like if we bless and affirm or speak truth into someone's life that will edify and encourage them, it may make them soft. Or if it doesn't make them soft, it may puff them up. And what I want to help us be are people who aren't afraid to speak blessing, not because we're fearful of puffing people up, but because we know in doing this, it fills people up. Thirdly, something that... uh, concerns me, and especially in the life of our church, because we're getting more and more involved in the community and in service, and we want missions, and we want assignments, and we want to follow God into the world, but you can't receive a mission from God if you don't want rebirth in God. You can't get an assignment if you don't want depth. You can't engage fully in a mission without new identity. You can't engage fully in an assignment of God if you don't want the source of the assignment. So what we're going to do in just a few moments is we have people who are going to go to places for prayer. And this is not for them to pronounce salvation over you. That's something only Jesus can do. It's for people to speak words of healing and blessing and affirmation over you. Because here's why. Kip, will you go ahead and join me up here? So we're going to sing a song in just a moment. Here's why. We come today in this room. And some of you are parents And some of you in this room have never enjoyed being a parent more. And some of you are parents and you're sitting there and you're thinking and you go to bed at night feeling like a failure because parenting is harder than you can ever imagine. And you need someone who will tell you, God, a parent God wants you to be. There's people in here who have been shaken to the core by divorce. In this room we have singles who who just live in a culture that sometimes never lets you feel like you were enough. And you're in need of someone just to speak the truth of God over your life. In this room, we have those who are lonely, those who are in chaos, those who are confused, those who have doubts, those who never feel like they are enough. And what we want to do today is just provide some space for you to go and let people know that maybe a job situation is driving you nuts. Maybe you are struggling in your life to know what the will of God is for your life. We want to provide a few places. So those who are praying this morning, shepherds, if you go to your places, the other people who are going, uh, the places to receive people for prayer, will you go? And as we do, I just want to invite you as a church. Will you close your eyes and bow your heads and maybe lift up your hands and let's sing this familiar song and let this be our desperate cry, our desperate plea to God today. Kip. I need.